Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Creating and fostering effective learning communities in the workplace requires a lot of skill, particularly in a hybrid world. There are many strategies, tools, and platforms that can help support learning communities, but it's important to know how to use them effectively. In this episode, I speak with a fantastic community builder who creates and fosters vibrant global learning communities. We discuss why it's important to have learning communities in the workplace, how to create them, and she also shares many wonderful tips from her extensive experience in the field. Anna Maria Dorgo is the head of community at Butter, a platform for planning and hosting collaborative sessions, as well as the founder of LD Shakers, an international learning community for learning and development professionals. With degrees in psychology and human resources, as well as being a true lifelong learner, she creates engaging learning experiences for a global community. Together with a core team, she has grown LD Shakers to over 2,000 members from all around the world in the past two years. The community is fully members led and it's a breeding ground for collaborative learning projects and experiments. In 2021, Anna Maria joined the team at Butter and has built the community from ground up into a place where facilitators, trainers, consultants, designers, and educators gather to hone their facilitation skills and learn more about the Butter platform. Anna Maria also advises companies and NGOs on how to build their own internal communities of practice to boost their learning culture, innovation, employee engagement, and sense of belonging, as well as driving change from within. Thank you very much, Anna Maria, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Kinga. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for the invitation. Well, I'm really, I'm excited to have you on and to talk to you. We've had great conversation about communities and all the different ways that you interact and create learning communities in a lot of different contexts. But before we start, tell me a little bit about what you do as an online community leader for someone who might not be familiar with that. What does that look like? That looks pretty much like the dream job, I can say. Okay. <laughs> it's awesome. yes. It encompasses, obviously, a lot of tasks and a lot of uh, skills that are interwoven in my in my daily job. But um, I would probably start with my favorite part, which is hands down the fact that I get to meet, connect, collaborate and learn from so many creative and diverse and and passionate people working on absolutely amazing projects. So I find myself daily in this kind of sea of inspiration and and possibilities thanks to them. And then obviously there's this uh, operational side to, to community design, especially online because we're meeting on different platforms and we're using different tools and tech to enable those those connections and those conversations to happen across uh, borders and time zones. And so those are like all the processes you can imagine, like onboarding and welcoming new members and how do we gather feedback and how do we design and launch and pilot and assess different projects or programs. And at the core of, of this all, it's the, it's the purpose of the community and the needs of us all as members and the value that that we're aiming to create collectively. So um, I take many different roles and I use different skills, but I guess the main, main one I, I can mention is enablement. So community activities, no matter which shape or form they take, they are usually collective and the members are in the spotlight. And so for me, very often I take the behind the scenes coordination and planning and setting up processes and uh, supporting their work initiatives, advising or brainstorming at times with them on the different possibilities, event project promotion, marketing, co-hosting, facilitating, capturing, analyzing data, see what's the value that we're creating and so on. So all the good, all the good stuff. And lastly, I think it's this constant communication and sharing and collaboration, mainly asynchronously uh, on the platform that where the community lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, in, from that perspective, it's all about being present and answering questions and connecting members with each other and sharing relevant resources and content, 
often creating content like videos, writing articles, and and so on. So that's like kind of like in a nutshell. Yes, it's very extensive. <laughs> it is really extensive, and、uh, I like what you said about enablement because there's so much to enable others to also participate, but also to lead communities.、Yeah. There's a lot that really facilitates for them to be enabled、yeah. and and empowered to do that. Over the years and the different types of communities that you have created and led, is there something that surprised you about what makes a learning community successful? I don't think that it was something that surprised me in in the structure of it. I guess that before, I mean, I stumbled into community building very much by accident,、uh, as and I believe that a lot of community builders have the same path or the same experience as I did. It was, and sometimes still is, just a lot of、um, intuition into the way we bring people together, and、mm-hmm. probably a bit of a like innate、uh, a, a talent of holding the space, facilitating, and this enablement enablement we were we were talking. But one thing that truly surprised me, or something that was unexpected, was the impact that a community has. So. I kind of like when I set out to do and and to build a, a, a working group back then, which then later turned out to be this beautiful, amazing community, and it's still growing and takes so many. It takes the different shapes that I could possibly imagine.、Um, but at the very beginning, like my my goal in terms of the value was, I want to get together with like-minded people to be able to learn from them, and if I can, I can share something from my experience, and they can take something out of. My projects and my work that would be wonderful, right? So it was really clear for me that the value of communities and successful communities are meant to enable and promote development,、uh, personal and professional. But one thing that came as a surprise was the effect on someone's、um, confidence, and I experienced that myself. And I am also. Constantly surrounded by people、uh, who feel the same, and and there are different examples that I've、uh, of people that I've met. Yes. And there's there's definitely something very special about teaming up with like-minded people and making stuff happen. As part of the space, I find myself being more daring because I wasn't alone anymore. I was more creative, maybe more experimental, experiential, welcomed project that I would normally maybe. Find risky or complex、mm-hmm. or complicated,、um, but having the support of the community really makes them exciting. So,、mm-hmm. um, I saw just a lot of examples of people who really used that space, the community platform, to make stuff happen and do things and launch projects that we would have probably otherwise haven't done. And because you're kind of this, you have this bias to action, powered by community. Um, you put yourself out there in different vulnerable positions and and scary situations, but then by doing, you realize, oh, I can do this. So that's an incredible boost of of confidence, both personally as well as as professionally. Absolutely, you know, having that support of people around you and and also that momentum of a crowd. Everyone's trying to do something similar is very powerful. And also, what I found in my work creating workplace learning communities is that. The confidence also builds in the fact that when someone, mainly for me, it's about in, having a new technology that people are trying to incorporate into their into their work. But bringing those professionals together in a learning community, those who having some challenges and difficulties, which everybody does to some level, often felt alone in that. Often felt alone in that challenge, and coming together in that community and hearing about others having similar or different challenges. Made such a huge difference to their confidence and their、mm-hmm. desire to improve because they thought, "Oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not hope. I'm not hopeless in this." So that、yeah. also created such a big boost in the confidence. It really is a phenomenal way of learning. Yeah, the impact of this on individuals. You said about self confidence, but also、mm-hmm. have you seen the impact in terms of the type of work that comes out of communities? Yes, and I think that. Um, it very much ties back into the goal or the or the purpose of community. Like、mm-hmm. when you set out to to build that space,、um, you truly need to ask yourself the question: Why are we gathering? Like, what's the end goal of this? And that end goal and that purpose will influence or inform the type of activities and artifacts and projects that you're bringing to life. So, 
the communities that I feel and I have experience with were communities of learning and communities of practice where the goal was very clear. We want to get better at this thing we're doing, this common thing that which is our profession, whether that's facilitation or whether that's learning and development, we want to get better at that. So how do we get better at this and how can we hone these skills? So there are obviously a lot of things that one can do. And I guess the maybe the low hanging fruit is we start with events, right? So we start to meet and have this knowledge sharing events, which might take a more or less structured shape form. And, and this is how we transmit and, and shift knowledge between ourselves as members. Right. But also there are projects where people, I've seen projects come to light where people truly uh, very much um, pushed or inspired by a personal passion or by a need that they saw in, in that space, in that community, have started building something from scratch. Um, and just to give you a couple of examples, uh, with the Alany Shakers, we've launched a project that has reached now its third edition, and it's called Coaching for LD. So it was myself and Lena Nasiako, we launched this project. And the idea was really simple. How do we take community coaches and enable them and support them and give them the structure and the of the program to deliver free coaching sessions to LD professionals that were uh, impacted by pandemic and layoff and so on and needed maybe a bit of a of a boost or recentering moment. Um, or we have two shakers that have launched a podcast, right? So they teamed up and they launched this seemingly scary uh, project, and they're having a great time learning and, and playing with that project. Example, people teaming up to build a L&D strategy blueprint from scratch. So we know that in L&D or every single year we have to build our strategy and somehow it's just a very difficult task all the time. So all the time there are questions and how do we do that and how do you do that and what are the elements and the steps. And so a group of people said, you know what, we've had enough. Let's team up and really do a deep dive into research and build this blueprint for the L&D community in general, the world, whoever gets their hand on that resource to have, to have that to fall onto whenever they're building their strategy. So these are bigger co-created sessions um, where you're still learning, but you're learning by doing. So probably you're not get the sole purpose of the gathering is not to learn. There is a higher purpose to that. You want to achieve something bigger than that. But by doing it, you're learning and you're developing skills. Oh, that's wonderful. That is really, really uh, important. And so much in there that every word was really valuable in terms of what's <laughs> important uh, for organizations and people who are creating these communities to, to really think about. And, mm. um, and I love the fact, uh, going back to the purpose, the fact that you said that there has to be a clear purpose to these communities, which is mm. so important. And often uh, communities of practice are under a general umbrella of interest, but it is not the same thing as having a learning community that it has a purpose and a goal that you really hone into. And sometimes I find that there might be the misconception that these communities, because there are some who are self-sustaining, there's no one particular person mm. facilitating it, but people are so passionate and uh, it, it's under an interest that they're very much involved in and it does truly thrive and, and go on for, for years and years. However, that's, that's rare. Most mm. of the time, learning communities and communities of practice need to have a clear purpose and also someone to really be responsible for supporting and fostering and and facilitating that community to constantly bring it back to the purpose, yeah. bring it deeper into the purpose. So uh, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about that because that role I think is sometimes misunderstood as purely technical mm. to facilitate, yeah. especially an online community, but it is so much more. So can you tell me a little bit about why is it important to have this type of person? Mm. Yes. And this is, I, you're, you're touching on something that is so important and it's, it happened, like there's still a lot of conversation, I guess, in the community building scene and the community space in general, where people are talking about this, still experimenting and navigating kind of like this fine line in between structure and having someone leading the project and emergence and allowing space for others to make that space their own. Um, and also playing or testing with different um, 
degrees of distributing control if you want to within the space so that's mm -hmm. definitely uh, something that's a, it's a lot it's on a lot of people's minds and it's uh, not as black and white mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's still a wicked challenge and this is my personal opinion um and i guess it, again it boils all boils down to what is the type of space and the type of community that you want to create because one can choose to go either way Right. So yes. one can choose to really keep all control or distribute it more. But we have to always keep in mind that it's always going to be a very conscious effort, no matter which way you want to go. Now, I, I definitely believe that the design process of the community, the, the rules of the space, the maturity of the community as well, have an influence on this. What do you mean by maturity? Yes. So the maturity for me is this the stages that a community goes through. So okay. at the very, very beginning, for example, in the design stages of that space where, where people get together to build something that doesn't exist and they have to define the rules of that space and the, again, the mission, the purpose, the values, the rules of engagement, etc. It would be really, really hard to start a community where no one is taking the lead to facilitate that co-creation process right yeah so absolutely. distributing it all and not having someone and also by someone i mean that can be a person or it can be a group of people like, it doesn't have to be an individual that that someone that enables and facilitates can be also a group of people and i actually believe it's much more powerful when when that's the case so the more people you have at that steering wheel the more collaborative the design process and the more co-creation elements you can bring into it and so the more control is being distributed but still there is this guiding group of people that they facilitate the process and they they um and the re the, the reason why besides that besides the fact that you need someone at the very very beginning when you're putting the foundation and the basis uh to to guide that process because it can be quite daunting and complex and unknown and definitely iterative um, a second reason why communities need that person or that group at the core is behavior modeling okay. which ties a lot again with the the space we're creating because that space is new and it's a space for learning and it's a space that involves yes gathering and meeting new people and sharing but it also involves things like opening up and uh, building trust with each other and mm. doing things and making mistakes and failing and showing up vulnerably and reflecting on the experience that we have. So it is a very complex space. And at the beginning, it feels very, might feel very big or very empty and daunting. What are we building here? What is allowed? How can I behave? What is frowned upon? So as active community members, we're constantly putting ourselves in this vulnerable position in front of our peers, where actually the only thing we want is their approval, right? And their admiration. Mm -hmm. And so in a learning space and in a learning community, you need to be willing to show that vulnerable side. You cannot learn without failure. Absolutely. And so at the very beginning, it's crucial to have someone to look up to as new member, as, as new additions, as the community grows and takes shape and to learn the behavior and the norms and to be reassured that what you're doing and the way you're acting and behaving, it's okay. If you're lucky, then you have a group at the core of the community and they take a co-creative approach and they invite people into the conversation. So everyone gets to put the piece of the puzzle. So then everyone's at the steering wheel, right? So then you move more towards the kind of like self-sustained type of community right fantastic and you really model the behaviors you you really engage and model the behaviors as a facilitator yes, uh, in order exactly. to foster that and not just try to trigger the conversation but also contribute show your learning show your vulnerability be honest uh, is there something that you see in those early stages that you think would be a good tip for people who are facilitating at those early stages to keep in mind Yes. So what really worked for me and the spaces I created was indeed bringing a lot of people, people, people to the table, community members and co-creating or giving shape to this space together 
So we workshopped a lot and everything from community values to community purpose to even activities and the way we're going to spend our time and how are we going to add value to each other were co-created. And you constantly have to go back to that space and invite everyone to join. And not everyone will want to join, but there will be people who would want to join. And I made this beautiful experience that um, ideas came out of those sessions that I couldn't have possibly thought about by myself sitting at my desk and trying to build something. Mm. And then there's there's another thing, and this I'm going to link it back to exactly what you said, this importance of having someone at the steering wheel to constantly go back to that purpose and, and the mm-hmm. reason why we're gathering, because playing an active part and actually managing or steering or enabling a community requires time and requires energy. And people are joining excited for that space. And there's this constant need, like the North Star is, are we creating value for the Mm -hmm. people that are here spending their time and their energy in that space? So that's why we have to be very intentional about this goal and purpose, because we always have to go back to, is this things we're doing, are they still relevant to us? And are they aligned with what we set out to do? Absolutely. Such so important. And that's why it's really important to have someone who's knowledgeable and responsible for this, for the community. But I love that idea that you bring together a co-creative model, especially particularly at the beginning, not only because you have different and diverse and ideas that you couldn't have come up with on your own or anybody on their own, together you come up with more a lot more ideas and interesting ideas, but also because then you can demonstrate the behaviors in that community a lot better, can't you? If you're bouncing yeah. off of each other, you're interacting, you're, you're really demonstrating even more than if it were just an individual. Yeah. And again, if you're bringing people to the table and you're brainstorming something, it's, it's ours, right? Because I think that, and again, it depends on the type of community you want to create. Yes. I always go back to that. There are people who want to be somewhere on top and have their members somewhere at the bottom and they constantly feed content and they, they, they are the sole value creators of that community, right? Of their audience, if you want to. And that, there are a lot of communities like that. But that was never the type of community that I wanted to create. So the moment I brought people and I said, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing here and I don't really know what I'm building here. So it would be awesome to build it together. At the end of that conversation, I was able to look at all of those wonderful ideas and launch the question and say, "Okay, so now how do we make this happen? So it doesn't fall on on one person's shoulders. Yes. and so we, we, we took that apart and everyone owned a piece of the community. And that's something that in the communities that I'm part of, um, it still very much holds true. So then you can double the value, triple the value, because it's not just one person that constantly struggles to put stuff out there and, and create things, right? It's Absolutely. It's Absolutely. No, that's, that's a really important thing. And uh, yes, there's many, many benefits and many reasons why this person should exist and bring them and to be a knowledgeable person and to bring in that co-creation, continue to foster the community, to, to always bring it back to its purpose uh, mm. and to keep it alive, to keep it going. What we're focusing more on this conversation is learning communities at work. Mm. So it's people who want to learn and want to learn that topic, but maybe it's not their entire life. You know, some of the communities that we look at as amazing examples are online communities of extraordinarily passionate people about something that really does take up. It's a huge part of their life. Yeah. And, uh, and that's rare for, for most of us. So it's important to always bring it back to the purpose, bring it, focus it, uh, draw out that conversation. So um, it's, yeah. it's, it's a wonderful thing to have a skilled facilitator. Lifelong learning and learning communities are big topics in the workplace right now. Mm. And you have said that communities are actually a lifelong learning approach to learning. Mm. Can you elaborate on this a little bit? Yes. So if communities are designed accordingly and with this goal in mind within companies, they are great spaces where members can take ownership of their learning process and be very mindful and also very self-directed in designing their own um, learning journey or development journey. And so 
people might join a community tackling subjects that they're already familiar with because they would like to improve or hone on that skill, right? If I'm an L&D manager, I might want to be part of an L&D community. Uh, but people also can join communities of learning or, 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 or build them if they want to, when they want to explore a totally new topic that, that landed on their radar. Um, so, for example, I made the switch from learning and development to community building. So I needed to join communities of community builders so I can hear what is it that they're talking about, where are they learning, what are the best resources, and so on. So it is very intentional as, as a person, as an individual. You can be really intentional, first of all, with the type of community that you're picking to be part, to be part of. And as individual, we're going to be part of several different communities, as I am, as probably you are as well. Mm -hmm. But we're truly active in in few of them or in some of them, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's correct and that's fine because when it comes to lifelong learning and the learning that happens in such communities, it, the good part about them is that everyone can pick their own adventure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because yes. the community offers this kind of layered learning opportunity so you have on one side this very low friction learning where you can only be an observer and a sponge and assimilate knowledge from others based on what's happening in that space or you can have a higher friction learning which is much more impactful it's where you're really throwing yourself deep into something and you're rolling up your sleeve and you get to do the work so you're learning by doing and you're building up that those skills i think that the learning that you're doing passively and I, I'm, I'm saying that carefully um, but by from the sidewalks right looking into maybe attending events and maybe asking questions and looking at resources and so on that's extremely valuable but that's often not visible right so you're doing that learning but you can't like no one knows that you're mm -hmm. learning, right? Yes. You're the only one the only way to make it visible maybe if you're taking that knowledge back into your work right In, into your daily work, and you're using it to create something, design something that has measurable value, then you're making that learning visible. Now, uh, more important for lifelong learning than this kind of sponge approach is the proactive approach, which is extremely powerful and can lead to a lot of um, value for professional and personal development for those people who want to get nearer to the core of the community and actually actually do things and move things and play a very active role uh, by taking action and responsibility and uh, ownership of, of parts of projects. And creating, creating from what creating, you've learned, exactly. not just learning it, but also applying it and creating Absolutely. something. Absolutely. And, and even creating new things from mm -hmm. scratch. Like for me, being part of LED Shakers was amazing because I could go there and I could, all my wildest dreams of my wildest projects I could bring them to life. There was no one telling me not to. There was no budget, no KPIs, no managers. That's I right. could just go there and use that space for learning. And so when you're doing that and where you're actively building something, actively launching a project and following up on a project and tweaking it and experimenting or designing something together with people, now suddenly all of your learning becomes visible. That's right because you're putting stuff, you're creating artifacts. Mm -hmm. So now you have those examples of projects, co-created things, maybe you're building resources, maybe you're putting something together, like a database of something, maybe you're mm -hmm. creating a newsletter, whatever it is you're creating, you it's visible, everyone can see it. And that artifact speaks for the knowledge and the skills that you presumably needed to have to make it happen. So you can also use it to for your personal and professional brand. So it's demonstrating to others what you're capable of. It's not just it, saying that I yeah. have this, I've done these courses, but it's demonstrating it. And it's so powerful and also so satisfying. It's so satisfying to know that you're creating something and to see mm. that at the end. I absolutely love discovering new technologies, learning technologies, <laughs> and and finding out what's happening in the market because there's there's always something new and exciting that's coming up. The company that you work for is called Butter, uh, yeah. which is a new collaboration platform. And I just wanted to hear more about it and to tell people about it. So can you describe what Butter is? Yes. yes. And why it's My called favorite. Butter also. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's... Uh... <laughs> 
it is a technology uh, and it is a platform. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. That there's a, there's a story behind that as well. So we are we're building butter with the participants, like whoever participates in virtual sessions and virtual workshops, but mainly with the facilitator in mind. And that that's something that's very much visible throughout the product. So butter, it's a virtual platform that allows you to both plan and host or run like live with participants, virtual sessions that are engaging and collaborative. So as a facilitator, you have these, the opportunity to, um, plan those sessions into the tiniest details directly inside the video conferencing tool right? right in the back in the back end and that's something that video conferencing platforms don't have like you're planning your workshop somewhere else and then you're just welcoming people into that room now butter allows you to design imagine that you're designing that room beforehand the way you would want it to be and this serves two purposes. First of all, we are hoping and the, the product is, it's so different for the, facility, for, for the participants when they land in the product. It's a whole different experience thanks to the whole delight. We call them delight and engagement features that we're having. Like there's a soundboard and you have these emojis that are moving around and the space is really bright and it's very open. Um, and so that's one thing, but the most valuable thing about Butter is the fact that it reduces a lot, a lot of the technical complexity that a virtual facilitator needs to face if they want to design and host an engaging plat- a, a session. And so you would need your video conferencing tool, you would need another tool for a poll, and you would need your slide somewhere else, and then you would need your whiteboard somewhere else. So there, there was just so many links and so many tools that the facilitator had to skillfully coordinate. And Butter said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a way to have a tool where you can also see and talk to people, but at the same time, launch pool, have flashcards, have music, have timers, seemingly open or integrate with collaborative tools like whiteboards, mural, Miro, et cetera. And so um, that's that that this is why butter is different and also i don't want to add maybe the breakout experience might very well be the best experience you will ever find both as facilitator and also as a participant that's great um, and why butter because uh, well originally the name the company was called meet butter from meeting and butter and it was called butter because of the smoothness we really want to make meeting virtually and collaborating virtually as smooth as butter. That's and wonderful. Then a while back, we dropped the meat because it was really funny, meat and butter. Yes. <laughs> so we dropped the meat and we kept the butter. And that's, uh, that's, that's right. And, and that's, I mean, that's not only a good thing for the facilitator and the organizer to have it integrated and have a smooth experience, but having those little tiny breaks those those Mm. few second breaks in switching between applications in the technology not quite working and suddenly not being able to share the screen immediately those tiny little breaks really do have a massive impact on the engagement Mm. of of the entire group breaks the engagement it breaks the conversation and that's often one of the reasons why it's more difficult to truly have conversations yeah. In, a, in an online platform uh, yeah. like that. But having that all integrated and smoothly going between different applications is, is really wonderful and very fun. I mean, it, when we were in it, it was a very fun experience. You have a lot of different ways of uh, digitally showing your emotions and interacting. And it's very, very uh, cool. So, so you're head of the community, the Butter community. You know, it's a great platform to use, but why would someone want to join the, the community? So the community serves mainly two, two purposes. Um, the first one is a space for our users to gather, to collaborate, to share butter best practices, learn more about the product, uh, have this very direct line of communication with our tech teams and product teams. They can request features, they can give us feedback. Uh, we invite them to for u- uh, user interviews and so on. So there's it's a very short communication line in between us as a company and our users. Um, 
So they're helping us tremendously with uh, product discovery and product development and design and so on. So that was reason number one. And reason number two, it's to truly advance uh, the craft of facilitation. And uh, we like to say that we want to make facilitation mainstream mm-hmm. because it feels like facilitation is currently reserved to the few lucky ones that somehow no one knows really how do they stumble and how do one day call themselves facilitator. But um, actually, uh, we believe that anyone should have the skills to, to help them support, be better leaders, uh, be mm-hmm. better managers, designers, change makers, creators, and so on. Um, because it's one of the f- future skills, if you want to, because we're going to use it more and more in our daily life, in our work life, as we gather to tackle the ever-increasing complex challenges that we're going to face as a humanity, facilitation will see that the core of that all. And so this also makes us a community of practice Mm -hmm. and learning for anyone who's willing to get together and explore that topic, uh, theoretically and practically have that platform where they can practice facilitating sessions in a safe space and Mm -hmm. get feedback on how to improve and hone that skill from, from their peers. That's really great. Very important. You mentioned a little bit L&D Shakers, but yes. I really wanted to talk more about that. So this is the group that you founded and has become an international group of L&D professionals who come together to learn together. So tell me a little bit more about yes. L&D Shakers. Yes, I think I, I mentioned a bit the, the how it all started and how I kind of like stumbled into this world of community building without planning to do so. I was an L&D manager and I was uh, a recent L&D manager actually. And uh, I was a one woman department and also reporting to the head of retail, which was neither an L&D nor an HR person. He was a very commercial and strategic uh, person, which helped me a lot in that role. But obviously I was missing this. I was very curious to see, hey, how is what's happening in other companies and what do other people do in their daily work? And are my projects like good or not good? Like I would love to receive feedback from people that have been there before and done that. Um, And so I set out to build this working group of five to seven people. That's what I had as a goal uh, that I could meet once a month to just bounce off ideas, talk about our projects and really get support from each other. And so I... um, ventured on a journey on LinkedIn and I went and I looked learning and development managers in Amsterdam and then I just simply wrote them a message and I asked hello do you want to learn from me I would very much like to learn from you (laughs) so (laughs) half of them came back and said yes what a great idea I'm missing this let's do this and so that's how we started very local very small and it emerged uh, and very much co-created because I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what this is and what shape can it take. So everyone was pitching in ideas. And um, when COVID came, I think we were around six, seven months in, yeah, six, uh, yeah, around around that. Uh, We were 80 people that were living here locally, uh, working in HR and L&D. and then COVID came and we moved, uh, we moved all of our meetings online. So then we realized after the first month that, hey, we can actually get together with more people from all over the world because it doesn't That's really right. matter where they are, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so more and more people came and, and we're currently over 2,000 2, members in our LinkedIn group and over 1,000 in our Slack. So we kind of like hosting these, yeah. these two platforms. Uh, and having still a lot of fun and the time of our lives and still learning. And That's fantastic. <laughs> really, really. I love that story. And uh, and it's a fantastic community. Uh, both L&D Shakers and the Butter community mm. uh, is really vibrant and wonderful. And, it, you know, you do, a, you do a great job along with everyone else to create Thank that you. and great learning experience. So I encourage anybody to join them. And, uh, and you really, truly live what you do because both as L&D Shakers, which is very international community, uh, as well as Butter, where you work mm. completely remotely. I mean, the yeah. founders are in Denmark, you are in Amsterdam, uh, you said your other colleagues are also in different parts of the world. Yeah. So you have a daily practice. It's, it's not just a daily practice, it's part of the way you function is mm. to have these online communities that you that you interact with and, and collaborate. So it's... Um, yeah, no, it's fantastic to have your mm-hmm. insights on this. And a big part of, of this topic is 
not just the facilitator and the group, but when we're talking about workplace learning and in an organization to have learning communities, which is such a wonderful way for workplace learning to take place. But there has to be an environment in which that exists. What, what do you think an organization or a company needs to do to create the right environment so that these learning communities can thrive and can, can exist? Is there something that should be changing about the culture? Yes, I believe so. They're working very different in, in terms of their structure and the way they're evolving and the way decisions are being taken to be truly valuable, especially for the members and also obviously for the company. We want that too. Otherwise, we know that we wouldn't get the endorsement of, of, of leadership mm-hmm. to spend time in those, those spaces. But they're working very different than what, the, what usually companies are accustomed with. And we're going back to this who's holding control of that space and how much control does one person or one department have on that space. And then culture plays such, 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 it's, it's, it's crucial um, Mm -hmm. because you need to have that culture, which enables people to experiment, uh, to be autonomous, like to direct and take decisions and probably sometimes engage in things that are not directly necessarily linked to their to their job description. And a lot of companies don't allow that. A culture of experimentation, a culture of failure, talking about that failure, seeing it as something that is okay and actually encourage. Like if you're not, if you're not failing and you're not experimenting, that means you're not bold enough, you're not moving fast enough, you're not exploring, you're not courageous. Um scrappiness, I would say, uh, because in communities you're kind of like you're moving fast and you're tackling different projects at the same time. So not everything is perfect, especially when you're deep diving into stuff that you haven't done before. You can't really stay into this. And I've worked in companies where the only project that you would put out there were the projects that had several levels of leadership stamps of approval. So we put something out there that in 99% of the of the channel of, of the implementation would work, right? But yes. that is just it's not how companies this day should work and how an HR company works. And then there's this whole part of um, building trust and having trust and allowing autonomy and no micromanagement and allowing people that freedom and the option to choose what they learn and when they learn and trust that they will bring that back into their work. And the third element in terms of the culture would be to celebrate people as professionals, but also as, as humans, as people um, celebrating their personal projects and their personal achievements and encouraging them to be bold and go and learn outside of the company and learn in, in their community and with their communities and, and just explore their fields and the things that they're curious about. Um, so I would say that would be like the three main components or cultural shifts that companies will have to make and create the space for that. Like, do we talk about that? Is there space for that in our meetings, in our one-to-ones? Do we talk about the way you learn? Do we talk about your interests? Do I, as a manager, encourage you to take a risk? And fun fact, actually, the idea of this working group that today is Alan D. Shakers, it wasn't mine at all. It was the idea of my manager who told me in a one-on-one, Ana Maria, I can't really help you. I'm not an L&D guy but you're an extrovert person. So I bet that you can find other people that just like you are alone in their little companies and you can gather and learn from each other. So I have him to thank for, for this community. Um, so that's the type of behavior that leaders will have to show and um, encourage within their teams. That's really good. So the three big things to recap. Yes, it's the culture of experimentations and mm. scrappiness and, and putting things out there. It's the lack of it's the lack of micromanagement, or better said, a lot of autonomy and trust that we put into into people's work and in the way they like to learn, and celebrating people as as full with their professional but also personal uh, projects and achievements. Absolutely wonderful, and these are very important for an organization and for the leaders of an organization to incorporate. At an instant, it also feels a little bit overwhelming. So what are some tips of something? You mentioned one thing, which is in meetings to discuss, what are you learning? How are you learning it? 
But what are one or two tips that you would say to incorporate into the organization to shift the culture? I think that, and also building like the road to there, if you don't have a learning community or a community of practice within the company, if you want to straight make the jump to a big engaged community, that's something very, really hard to do. I don't know if anyone is able to really make that big jump and suddenly from nothing have something really be and very wonderful. Um, So I do believe that there, there are two folds, right? Companies can go th- through their HR, L&D and, and leadership, top leadership. They can try to spot seeds, examples of social learning or peer learning. And whenever you're, you're spotting them, whether it's people that kind of naturally gather, whether it's people that have, share a common interest, et cetera, they should definitely nurture that. I think the big challenge for companies is, and communities are per se by definitions organic. Like a community starts slowly by someone that teams up with another person and then there's three people and then there's five and 10 and then there's 2,000 two years later, right? Trickles out. Yeah, uh, exactly. Or or they're just five forever and that's fine, right? But in within a company, usually we would think, and that's like the way we were used to, we think that learning opportunities, collaborative opportunities are coming from someone, from L&D usually, from HR, like people are designing those spaces and employees are just going, presenting themselves there and they kind of like try to make, <laughs> learn, right? In, in, in the box that we design for them and in that space. Now, ideally a community will will flourish organically. And if there is an, a, a right culture to enable that, that might happen in time, right? That you see this kind of glimmers of people getting together, collaborating on different projects so you can nurture that. But if that culture is not there and you're kind of like, I want to experiment with this. I think this might be valuable or maybe you're an L&D or an HR professional that knows the value of community, but probably your top leadership doesn't. And you're kind of like, I really want to get this started. Like, how do I, how do I build a case for this? I think it's really good. And there's a great opportunity to look at your programs right now. So how is it that people collaborate right now in within the company? How are we structured as departments? How is it that we do team building? Or how is it that we do learning? How is it that we onboard? How do we train our leaders? All of the cool projects that we have for people development, look at them and try to sprinkle social and peer learning and opportunity spaces that are looser, like let go of the structure and go more towards facilitation, gathering, enablement, maybe just open it up and see what happens, right? If you, if you just put an invitation in a space, in a room full of people, what comes back, right? Mm-hmm. Even a part of a training, right? So you have your usual trainings, reserve 15 minutes for, for conversation that you foster. So those are the tiny little things that one can do to a practice what it means to work with social learning and peer learning because community building are spaces like that where where we gather in groups and learn and make sense of complex things together um, and bring them in really small bits and pieces to what is already there and see what happens. Does it resonate? Do people like it? Will they ask for more? Does it show up in feedbacks? Does it show up as requests? Um, maybe you're spurring something in someone and they come up and say, can we maybe repeat this and just have, so play with intervision, mastermind groups. Uh, these are very easy formats to include in leadership development, first time management, managers, onboarding, etc. So those would be concrete initiatives. And most definitely what leaders can do is be very intentional about these type of conversation. Talk with your team about learning. Where do they learn? What do they read? What have they discovered? What interests them, etc. And nurture that, like kind of stoke that fire when, yes. when you see that it's there. And not everyone, I mean, that's clear. Not everyone is likes to learn all the time and it's a lifelong learner and and that's fine that's perfectly fine but some people are so if you listen truly as leader you hear them you hear them talk about or you see them like and and then you can put them forward for this type of project as well oh my goodness you just shared so many fantastic fantastic tips Mm. and insights and and ideas I feel like you know, this needs to be listened to again and again to, to really absorb it all. And uh, I completely agree. I mean, it, it's so important. You shared really good ways of starting that to start those initiatives and to start that change of culture or enhancing that culture. It, it, there's always 
there's always room for improvement. Yeah. And I really like what you said, that learning from each other, that I think is one of the greatest untapped resources. Organizations pay so much money for external professional development, but actually creating the, the communities that are truly fostered and facilitated in a way for people to learn from each other, I think is the greatest untapped resource of organizations, people already in it to share and learn from each other. I love the way that you you framed it and the ideas you shared. So thank you. The the benefits are so many. I I would encourage like if if someone is kind of like if if you're someone with influence in your company, and this has kind of um, steered your curiosity. It's so easy to launch a pilot and see what happens. Like mm-hmm. very low entry um even things like think about things like hackathons right when we gather it's a day of a hackathon and we're solving company challenges together collectively that that is a form that's a that's a taster of what communities of learning are or play days right when you're workshopping together and so on and there's this and i i absolutely love when you say king with the this flow of knowledge, like people are, there's so much knowledge within the company and still we kind of like feel the need to bring experts from outside. And this is one of the big benefits of internal communities of learning and of practices. The fact that knowledge starts to flow and not only the procedural one, the one that we can document, but especially the, that invisible tacit knowledge mm-hmm. that suddenly becomes shareable and you're bringing it into conversations and into different rooms and experiences but the benefits of boosting confidence more engagement alignment with the company autonomy mastery which can lead to more more performance etc so there's there's so much goodness to be taken out of fostering the spaces within companies Absolutely. Completely agreed. Oh my goodness. Well, we we certainly could talk about this more. And I really hope that people do join the LND Shakers and the Butter community. Wonderful places to learn more about this. Um, but before we end, I'd like to ask you for any recommendations to read or watch on this topic. Yes. There's uh, luckily so many resources out there. So a simple Google search will get you a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can share some of my favorites and I will send you the links to it and maybe we can link, link them in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, a good place to start and is the uh, Daniel Pink Strife book mm-hmm. that explores the, uh, the underlying forces of what keeps us motivated and performing and it identifies key elements that communities have or communities of learning and practice have, like the purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Uh, so that, that's a great place to start. Then I recently discovered a, an online, just, just a PDF that you can find online, and it's called The Learning Communities Handbook by Louise Wilson and Dr. Toby Lowy. And it's a great resources about, like really focused on learning communities. The Art of Community by Charles Fogel uh, that has a very interesting focus on belonging and how do we nurture and foster belonging in the spaces when we bring people together. In general, a great source of inspiration for me personally is the CMX YouTube channel. It has tons of guests and people building all sorts of communities from internal to external to user to product to learning to schools and so on. So that's, that's one of my favorite places to hang as well, to get fresh ideas. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anna Maria, you, you shared so many wonderful insights and tips and new technologies that, that we can use. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. It was an absolute pleasure.